Thanks to the wonderful folks at Anchor.fm. Welcome, listeners, to Tom Reads Your Story. Join voice actor Tom Zania as he reads from past audiobooks and other spoken word projects. You writers may also be given the chance to have your newly written material, fiction or nonfiction, read to an audience. This show will get the words out. And now, here's the host of Tom Reads Your Story, voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. And as always, thank you, Mr. Announcer, for that wonderful introduction. And thank you for coming, you voice actors, writers of all kinds, and audiobook listeners. We're celebrating the spoken word. And this is Tom Reads Your Story. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. So today, we're going to get into something that I've never really knew the full details of the story. And that is the whole story of Sinatra and JFK and the mob and, of course, the eventual tragic outcome. I've never really sat down and and heard the whole thing told to me. And so I did some research and uh, I found a couple of articles I, I wanted to read that I think are pretty good. Um, but anything I ever heard about that whole, I don't know, scandal, if you want to call it that, is are just snarky little comments made by talk show hosts or maybe when you go to a party and somebody, you know, makes a joke about it or something. I never really knew what was going on with that. So you're going to hear some recordings from um, history101.com and biography.com. And I'll be right back. Attention farmers, landscapers, and homeowners. If you've developed cancer after using the Weed Killer Roundup, the New York law firm of Weitz and Luxembourg wants to discuss possible compensation. Call us at 1-800-921-8888. If you have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma after using Roundup or other glyphosate herbicides, call 1-800-921-8888 or log on to WeedKillerCancer.com. Prior results do not guarantee a future outcome. And we are back. So, you know, as I was saying, I've done some looking into this whole story, this, I guess, scandal, if that's what you want to call it, about uh, Sinatra and JFK. Um, But the one thing that made me decide to do this today was a documentary I just saw on Netflix called Sinatra all or nothing at all. If you get the chance and really want some good detailed information, in particular about this scandal, this stretch in their lives, definitely see All or Nothing at All. I've seen a good number of Sinatra documentaries, and I'm sure there's plenty of you out there that have also seen uh, Sinatra documentaries, but definitely see this. Uh, it's very well done and, uh, I think you'll like it. So getting back to the subject at hand, Sinatra had started to hang out in Vegas. Uh, obviously many of his friends, uh, were running the town and 
they uh, they brought Sinatra in, and of course, uh, Sammy Davis and Dean Martin and Joey Bishop and Peter Lawford. They all were together, and eventually, uh, Lauren Bacall coined the the name the Rat Pack. And the uh, the story basically is this: uh, word got out that tourism was really increasing in Las Vegas because of the fact that Sinatra was there. Sinatra was not just a, an American star, but an international star. And he brought uh, a lot of business in uh, with these uh, concerts at the Sands Hotel and possibly somewhere else uh, in town. But eventually, word got to John F. Kennedy and he came down uh, to Vegas, I assume, to see the show. And they became fast friends. Sinatra, of course, and JFK uh, were, I guess you could call them womanizing friends. Um, had a great taste for women and... Like I said, they became fast friends, and of course, uh, word got around to the father of the family, uh, and that, of course, was Joe Kennedy. Joe Kennedy knew that the head of the Chicago mob, Sam Giacana, uh, was a friend of Sinatra, and he then asked uh, his son, John, to ask Sinatra, to ask Giacana, to influence the unions to deliver the union vote for John F. Kennedy. And, of course, that is what happened. And somewhere in there, Marilyn Monroe came in, Judith Campbell came in, both of whom were girlfriends, of Sinatra and later on John F. Kennedy. Um, so that's basically the story. Once Kennedy was elected, uh, I, the proverbial shit hit the fan because Kennedy brought his brother Bobby in to be secretary of, uh, excuse me, the attorney general, to be the attorney general. And um, he had a history for going after the mob, uh, as far as influencing labor unions and that sort of thing. So that friendship between Kennedy and him uh, and Sinatra went by the wayside. Uh, and, and really, I don't want to talk anymore because it's explained very well in the first story uh, that I'm going to read from, from history101.com. And this is about that cast of characters. I think you'll like it. The sizzling story of the Rat Pack, Marilyn Monroe, and the President. History101.com What would the world say if the President hooked up with Hollywood's top actress after she dated the most famous singer in the biz? Well, that actually happened, and while the racy details of the relationships between Frank Sinatra and his Rat Pack, Marilyn Monroe, and the President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, 
lay beneath the surface. The group often flaunted it without a care in the world. It's an amazing moment, said author Sean Levy, who's written two books about the Rat Pack, The Rat Pack and The Rat Pack Uncensored, where showbiz politics organize crime and, for lack of another word, adult sensations, were all at a very high level in one sort of vessel and out in the open. Las Vegas was their stomping ground, the vessel Levy is referring to carrying the whole bunch and was a haven for gangsters created by the mafia. Las Vegas. The Rat Pack carried on in plain sight, added Levy. They were the most popular entertainers in the world and running around with a presidential candidate and the Chicago mob. It was kind of crazy. The gathering of the Summit in 1960, as the Rat Pack preferred to be called, culminated in the making of the box office smash Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven was like a commercial for Vegas, explains Levy. The Rat Pack saved Las Vegas. They made Las Vegas with that movie. One month after announcing his candidacy for president, at a Rat Pack show at the Sands Casino in Vegas, Sinatra looked to the crowd between songs and singled out one individual seated next to the state. A spotlight revealed the man, and Sinatra said, I'd like to introduce the next president of the United States, John F. Kennedy. The two had cemented their relationship years earlier, as Kennedy's younger sister, Pat, married fellow Rat Packer Peter Lawford. Sinatra and Kennedy got along famously, with a special bond that was difficult to fully appreciate. They were men cut from the same cloth. They always got what they wanted, Levy explained. There were very few people at this altitude, and they saw one another in each other. It was a special relationship. By 1960, each man was doing favors for the other. When a book called The Manchurian Candidate was published in April 1957, Sinatra wanted desperately to make a movie about it. The idea fell flat as Hollywood producers were skeptical about making a movie about a presidential assassination. Ironically, Kennedy was a fan of the book and had friends on the board of United Artists and used his influence to convince the studio to make the movie. The relationship worked both ways, as it's largely understood that Sinatra used his connections with the mafia in Chicago to deliver the vote there. In Chicago, they used to say, vote early and vote often, said Levy. But it's largely understood that because the Eisenhower administration was starting to crack down on organized crime, Kennedy would loosen up on that in exchange for the mafia delivering Illinois. Enter the beautiful blonde. It was a glorious time for these men of power and prestige, and yet there was one more actor with equal clout that had a part to play, Marilyn Monroe. Monroe was a common thread between the bunch, as Sinatra and she had previously dated, was a close friend of Pat Kennedy and Peter Lawford, and, of course, rumors about her and Kennedy are especially steamy. When you look at who Monroe was, said Levy, it makes sense that she married the greatest playwright, Arthur Miller, greatest baseball player, Joe DiMaggio, dated the greatest showman, Frank Sinatra, and slept with the President of the United States, John F. Kennedy. She carved her own way in the world, 
and she was going to do whatever she wanted. By early 1961, Kennedy had been elected in the closest election in American history at the time, and for his pre-inauguration gala, Sinatra delivered a number of his star friends to perform, which included Gene Kelly, Nat King Cole, Milton Berle, and Ella Fitzgerald. Sinatra himself took turns performing and keeping the president-elect company in his box. Their relationship began to take a turn when Kennedy appointed his younger brother Robert to the post of attorney general. Robert had already done much to disrupt organized crime's influence over labor unions, and now he set his sights on the mafia itself. Then, in March 1962, everything unraveled prior to a scheduled visit by Kennedy to Sinatra's Palm Springs home. Stories conflict, but what is known is that either Robert Kennedy or FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover interceded to dissuade Kennedy from staying at Sinatra's house. On its surface, it was a bad look for the president, especially since Chicago mob boss Sam Giancana had been known to have previously stayed at Sinatra's house. Giancana and Kennedy were also having an affair with the same woman, Judith Campbell. The snub heard round the world. Kennedy was forced to cancel, and Lawford was given the dubious task of delivering the news to Sinatra. Sinatra had recently completed construction of a helipad on his grounds to accommodate the president's helicopter, and when Lawford told him, he got so angry that he proceeded to smash it into bits with a sledgehammer. He then banished Lawford from the Rat Pack for good, and even had him replaced by Bing Crosby in his upcoming movie. It's interesting that Crosby got the nod because instead of Kennedy going to Sinatra's house on that night in March 1962, he went to Crosby's home. There's no disputing it, as that fateful night was when Kennedy and Monroe actually did meet. It's not a leap to think that the two had thought about each other before, as they had powerful and promiscuous sexual appetites and sought the most prominent of partners. People close to Monroe have reported that that was the night the two were intimate together, culminating in probably the most notorious affair in American history. While our imaginations run wild about a steamy night, it probably didn't mean much to them, other than another notch on their belts. They did, however, have one last meeting, and it was hot. On the night of May 19, 1962, in front of a packed house in Madison Square Garden, Monroe took to the stage to sing to the man of the hour, John Kennedy. Happy birthday, Mr. President, she sang in a near-pornographic tone. After then singing a rendition of Thanks for the Memory, Kennedy took to the stage and said that he could retire after having had Happy Birthday sung to me in such a sweet, wholesome way. After the show, the two met at the movie executive's home with others in attendance, and that's where the only known photo of the two exists. Monroe would die of a drug overdose just three months later, and evidently, her last phone call was to Lawford. Lawford's career was railroaded by events and later divorced Pat. Kennedy was killed the next year, and Sinatra wept for days at the news, though he wasn't invited to the funeral. 
As for the Rat Pack, 1964 was the death knell for their reign at the top, thanks to a long-haired group of rockers named the Beatles and their appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show in February 1964. After the rise of Kennedy and rise of hippie and teen culture that stuck around for good and was never to be rebuffed again, explained Levy, men in nice suits rubbing elbows with mobsters Womanizing and smoking cigarettes while drinking liquor seemed old. Never again would A-listers, the mafia, and politicians share such an intimate relationship, leaving us gawking at the past, while the sizzling stories fill our wild imaginations. And, of course, that takes us to the election and the inaugural ball. Okay. The, um, the election, of course, took place. Kennedy won. Uh, apparently, uh, there was an agreement between Joe Kennedy uh, and Sinatra, uh, uh, to to get the message to Sam Giancana, the head of the Chicago mob, to influence the union vote. And, of course, uh, it seems to have worked, according to this theory. And, uh, and so Kennedy, of course, was elected, and the inaugural ball uh, took place uh, without Sammy Davis Jr., who was disinvited because he was a black man dating a white woman at the time. Yes, that's what happened. So what we have now is the next part of our story. And that is of course, payback. Uh, who assassinated JFK? Uh, and why the mob, I feel after Having listened to all of this stuff, all this information, all this, this documentary I saw, the mob, to me, had a great reason. Actually, they had several great reasons to kill Kennedy. And it wasn't just because uh, Bobby Kennedy told the president to stop hanging around with Sinatra. It wasn't just that. The mafia had built casinos in Cuba. The Cuban government, of course, shut them down after Kennedy um, refused to act. And so that is another reason that was theorized uh, of Kennedy's um, assassination. So we have that in the next reading uh, from biography.com. Did the mob kill John F. Kennedy? by Colin Bertram, Biography.com. Few historical events have given rise to the hundreds, perhaps even thousands of conspiracy theories as the 1963 assassination of President John F. Kennedy in Dallas, Texas. From an inside job to an unidentified umbrella man, extraterrestrials, multiple gunmen, and a joint effort between the Cubans and Soviets have been all cast as the perpetrator of, or directly involved with, Kennedy's demise. So, too, has the Mafia, 
though officially refuted and even derided over the decades, theories of mob involvement continue to persist and fascinate. The supposition even gets a mention in director Martin Scorsese's 2019 film, The Irishman, when crime boss Russell Buffalino, played by Joe Pesci, utters, If they can knock off a president, they can knock off the president of a union. Theorists believe Teamster leader Jimmy Hoffa conspired with the mafia to kill JFK. Conspiracy theorists have long surmised the mafia was involved in the assassination due to the enmity created when JFK and his brother Robert F. Kennedy began a campaign to stop mob influence on the Teamsters Labor Union. When JFK was elected president in 1960, he appointed Robert as attorney general. In his new role, Robert began a very public attack on organized crime, in particular going after Jimmy Hoffa, who had been elected leader of the Teamsters Union in 1957. At that time, the Union controlled the majority of commercial trucking in the United States. Hoffa was known to consort with major mafia bosses, the mob having already corrupted many labor unions in large cities. As a senator, Robert pursued Hoffa over racketeering charges, though no conviction was brought against the Teamster leader. On becoming attorney general, Robert went so far as to form a Get Hoffa squad to aid his quest, ultimately succeeding in bringing him to justice. In 1964, Hoffa was convicted of attempted bribery of a grand juror and sentenced to eight years in prison. But it was the earlier actions of the Kennedys that adds fuel to the assassination theory involving the mob. When JFK was unsuccessful in overthrowing Cuban leader Fidel Castro in 1961, mafia-controlled casinos on the island remained shut down, angering American crime family bosses who had invested heavily to create a tourist destination to rival Las Vegas. Theorists suggested the Mafia and Hoffa conspired to kill the president as an act of retribution. Some think Robert Kennedy was the original target. According to the 1994 book written by attorney Frank Regano, who represented Hoffa, the Teamster leader asked mob bosses Santos Traficante and Carlos Marcello to arrange the assassination of President Kennedy. Regano also claims that on the day the president was killed, he joined Traficante in a toast. Regano recalls a dying Traficante, confessing in 1987 to having a role in the killing, though he says the mob boss eventually came to regret not killing Robert instead of his brother. Robert feared he had somehow gotten his brother killed, according to biographer Evan Thomas, that Robert Kennedy's attempts to prosecute the mob and to kill Castro had backfired in some terrible way, had blown back, as the intelligence folks say, Thomas said. Bobby thought that he'd be killed, and now he has this daunting, horrible realization, or fear, that all of his attempts to get the mob and to get Castro have in some terrible way blown up and come back to haunt his family and resulted in the death of his brother. Frank Sheeran claimed to have delivered guns to Dallas before JFK's shooting. The Irishman, based on investigator Charles Brandt's 2003 memoir, I Heard You Paint Houses, chronicles the life of Teamster official Frank the Irishman Sheeran and his connection to the Buffalino crime family and Hoffa. Though omitted from the film, Brandt writes in the book that Sheeran claims to have delivered three rifles to Dallas 
in the days preceding the Kennedy assassination, the same type of rifles used in the shooting. There's been no available evidence pointing to the mob's involvement. In the late 1970s, former New York City police detective and mafia expert Ralph Salerno was a consultant investigating mob involvement in the JFK killing by the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Salerno said he reviewed thousands of pages of electronic surveillances of organized crime leaders all over the United States and heard nothing suspicious. Salerno tried hard to find mob involvement in JFK's death, according to The Kennedy Half-Century by author Larry J. Sabato. I felt it would have raised the hackles of the entire nation against organized crime, so I would have loved to have found something, but I didn't find that. The House Committee's final report, though it acknowledges that the National Syndicate of Organized Crime, as a group, was not involved in the assassination of President Kennedy, also notes that the available evidence does not preclude the possibility that individual members may have been involved. Very interesting story, I think. I hope you like that. I visited Dallas uh, in 19, I think it was 99, while on tour with a musical. And we had uh, a day off there. And my what I wanted to do uh, was take the bus from the hotel to downtown and find Dealey Plaza, which is what I did. And I went there, I asked around, and I, I finally found Dealey Plaza, which I'm sure there are, you know, I saw many tourists there, but it's, uh, that's quite a place. Uh, I saw a plaque that is embedded into the sidewalk as the exact place where Kennedy was shot. And I also went to the grassy knoll. I looked across over the fence. I had my eye mostly on the window in the book depository. And I looked at the trajectory from the window to where the president was shot. And I thought, no wonder people are having trouble believing he did this. It's ridiculous. It's a, it's, it's like a totally downward and slightly to the left trajectory that makes you think that no one, no one, but a marksman, a heavily trained marksman could have done this. It's, it's pretty amazing. If you ever get the chance, if you're ever in Texas, if you're ever in Dallas, check it out. It's a very interesting place. I did not see the book depository, a museum uh it was closed that day and uh but it's definitely worth worth going over to take a look at so that should do it for this episode if you enjoyed today's show please tell your friends and have them tell their friends be sure to email me at tomreadyourstory at yahoo.com to send in your written material for me to perform or if you have specific questions about getting into the voiceover biz as always Thanks to Anchor.fm for this wonderful chance at having a continuing podcast. I very much appreciate it. Hope you decide to come back soon. Have a great rest of your day. Stay safe and take care.
For more information on Tom's availability for your e-learning, commercial, audiobook, or video project, visit his website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Tom Reads Your Story.